of Rome. And so the Gentile believers that were left there uh, for about eight years, the Gentile, wow, there we go. Hey, wow. All right, we're rolling. All right, so um, the Gentile believers, I'll talk quieter now. Wow. The Gentile believers were there for eight years. And so they had kind of turned their service a little bit to the Gentile side than the Jewish side. And so when the Jews were let back in, these Jewish uh, Christians came back to their church, and it was completely different. It was a completely different church that they left. And so there was, there was some infighting between Gentiles and Jews, and Paul is writing this letter to Rome to bring those two people groups back together. That's the whole purpose of him writing this letter to Rome. And uh, the first... The first chapter, Paul goes right after. Uh, if you ever read Romans 1, man, he goes right in it. After his little intro, he just starts blasting the Gentiles with their kind of lifestyle. And uh, then in chapter 2, he turns his attention to the Jews. And he calls them out. He says, you judge, you self-righteous people, you judge the Gentiles, but you are actually doing the same things in private. So he calls both people, both groups out. And in uh, Romans 3, we find this verse. Well then, what should we conclude? That we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. This word righteous or righteousness, comes up a lot in, Ro in the book of Romans. But um, when we use the word in English, we usually attach morality to it. So if you are righteous, that means you are holy. But in the Jewish context, that word righteous had nothing to do with morality. It had everything to do with a law court. It was a law court word. That, in, that if the judge was to deem you guilty, you are not righteous. But if you are absolved or you are not guilty, the judge would say you are righteous. So before the eyes of the judge, if you are not guilty, you are considered righteous. But Paul says, hey, everybody look around. Tell your neighbor and says, we're all jacked up. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, you're jacked up. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm jacked up. Now doesn't it feel better? Just a little survey, doesn't it feel better to tell somebody else they're jacked up, right? But then when you turn it and it's like, yeah, I'm jacked up too. It's like, ah, there's a little, there's a little you know, heaviness on that because we all know internally that our lives are not perfect. And the things that we want to do, we don't do. And the things that we don't want to do, we do. And he'll get to that in chapter 7. But um, this is just, an, it, so, so not only Jews... But Gentiles, too, are all under what Paul says, the power of sin. Not that we just sin, but there seems to be this power over people that is a personal, intelligent force that leads them down a direction away from the Lord. And so what Paul is doing in Romans 3, he's creating a court case. He's voicing the case of the prosecution through the law of Moses. So he's using the law of Moses, creating a prosecution case, not just for the Gentiles, but for the Jews as well. And so he culminates this court case prosecution 
in verse 20, Romans 3, he says, For no one can ever be justified in God's sight by doing what His law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. But then he turns this argument in verse 21. But now, God has shown us a different way of being made right in His sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the Scriptures long ago. We were made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we can all be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. For we all have sinned, all fall short of God, of the glory of God. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus who redeemed us from the penalty of our sins. That word redeemed means that um, it is the payment upon which to free one who's in slavery. That word redeemed is that we were enslaved to sin, but this picture is that in this courtroom where the Lord is about to judge your life or His audience, the Jews and Gentiles, He's saying that Jesus walks in the courtroom and before the judge can pronounce you not righteous, Jesus stands in front of you and He says, His guilt I'm taking. And the judge looks at this perfect innocent. And he says, you're righteous. So Jesus sta literally stands in our place before the Father to say, whatever they're guilty of, put that on my tab. That is what Paul is trying to communicate both to Jews and Gentiles, is that we have this same Savior that does the same thing because we're all under the power of sin. So up to this point, the Jews knew what kind of family that they were a part of. They knew kind of what it took. They knew kind of the checks. You know, this is if you're in, a, if you're a Jew, this is what you do. Here's the checklist. And there were 613 laws of the Old Testament law that they had to follow. And so for, when in their mindset, when you add Jesus, it's Jesus just becomes one other box that you have to check off. And so for the Jews, they were requiring the Gentiles to take on that whole 613 set of laws and Jesus because Jesus was Jewish. That was just their understanding. How does that not make sense, Paul? But could it be that Jesus just doesn't fit into our past Jewish list of what makes people right with God? And so Paul, at the top of chapter 4, he leaves the law alone, and he goes back in time 645 years to this person named Abraham. So well before the law was given, he's going to draw their attention to this person Abraham, because in the Jewish faith, he was the father of the Jewish faith. And so he's going he's to draw their attention to see how Abraham came to know the Lord. And he's going to prove his point. So this is the, the last before he turns. He's going to pivot after in chapter 5. But this is the last bit of his argument for his court case argument for why both Jews and Gentiles are all on the same plane. Romans 4.1, Paul says this, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? So, so far, like I said, we've been dealing with the law, but now Paul anchors this new covenant family, the family that Jesus came to 
birth and established all the way back 650 years before the law. Abraham was the beginning of God's covenant family on the earth. And so part of the implications of justification, so right, being righteous or righteousness and to be just or to be justified, they all come from the same root, and it is a law court uh, term, but to be justified, you can remember, it's just as if I never sinned. When God says you are justified through Christ, that means that when He sees your life, it's just as if you've never sinned. But for Paul, this, this justification, it isn't just a turning away from your sin or being absolved of your sin, but it's coming into a brand new covenant family of God. So when, when Paul's trying to describe what do you have in Christ, what's your inheritance in Christ, He's saying it's not just about your sin, but it's about being adopted into God's worldwide covenant family. So is this family, which believers have now been adopted, the ethnic, physical family of Abraham, or is there something else that draws them together? This backbone of the whole of chapter 4, we find its roots in actually Genesis 12 and 15, where God comes to this man, Abraham, and makes this promise. In chapter 12, God calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be a father of many nations, actually. And I'm going to make your name great so you can be a blessing to the world. That was Abraham's original call by God. Abraham was just, well, I'll get to that. God comes to Abraham again in chapter 15. Probably at night, because of what he says. He says, and he brought, God brought Abraham outside and said, Look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able, able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God saw Abraham's faith. He believed God was going to pull through with his promise. Did we not sing about that today? Nothing can stop it. God, you are the God of promise, of the promise. That song that we sung about, this is the promise that we were singing about earlier. It's God's promise that through his chosen people, through his children, he wants to reconcile heaven to earth back again. The thing that was lost in the garden, that's God's dream to reconcile it back again. But he needs his own people doing that. So Genesis doesn't say Abraham kept the works of the law, and so God considered him righteousness because the law wasn't even given for another 650 years. But it says God saw his faith and counted him righteousness. Counted him righteous, but Abraham had been a typical pagan before he was called by the one true God. I mean, at at that point, Abraham was very much unaware of who this God is or what it would mean to follow him, be conformed to his will and his way. And yet God called Abraham into covenant, a covenant designed to deal with the problem of sin itself and all its consequent human degradation. Wow. Needed another coffee this morning. All its disintegration and wickedness. In other words, Abraham started where we all start. We don't really know much about this God, but we see this person of Jesus and we say, I like that guy. 
I liked how that guy, I like how that guy rolled. I like how he treated the self-righteous people because I see self-righteous people in my world too and I'd probably handle them the same way Jesus did. But to the down and out, the people on the other side of power, Jesus is spending all his time with them. So in other words, God did not say Abraham is fine, was fine as he was. Just because he picked him doesn't mean that he was in the perfect form of who God needed him to be. Abraham's initial trust in God, God's promise of a large family was simply the beginning of a process of testing, of leading, God leading him, and transformation in Abraham's life. But Paul is saying, man, listen, my Jews, Gentiles are coming to faith the same way Abraham did. So before the law, God made a covenant with Abraham because of his faith. And Paul is saying, don't you see, Jews, don't you see what God is doing? You're so stuck to what I would call bounded set thinking. And he's trying to come at their, the way that they're seeing things. And how I would kind of describe bounded set thinking is kind of like this. Like if there's a little graph here. Awesome. Great. Bounded set. So Paul is saying, Jews, you're thinking in this way. You're seeing, okay, this is what it means to be in, and this is what it means to be out. This is what it means to, and usually it's the external behavior, not necessarily the heart condition, but the external behavior. This is what it looks like to be in, and this is what it looks like to be out. And Paul is saying that's not the way to see God's people or God's creation, people made in God's image is that God's category doesn't think like this. God thinks a little bit more what I would call centered set thinking, in that, that there's a center, there's a, there's a point of reference, there's a frame of reference, and you have all these different people no longer bounded by ethnicity or race, that they're all kind of equal, but Paul is saying what truly matters is not your in and out group or what laws you obey or disobey, but Paul is saying what really matters is where is the direction of your heart? Is it moving towards Christ? Throw the arrows up. Or is it moving away from Christ? Paul is saying these categories, Jews, are not no longer in Christ. There's no longer these in and out categories. What really matters is, is your heart moving in faith towards God's Son, or is it moving away from it? So this is crazy, because I think that sometimes we, and I think religion itself has these kind of old ways of thinking, a lot like the Jews did in, G in Paul's day. This is what it means to be in. This is what it means to be out. Paul's saying that doesn't really matter. What matters is, is your heart moving in faith towards his son, the Messiah, the promised one? So Paul in 4 verse 13 says, It's clear then that God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based upon obedience to God's law, but on the new relationship with God that comes by faith. It's interesting, Paul says that the whole earth was Abraham's 
promise or inheritance. It's as if God actually pulled through on his promise by sending Jesus of Abraham's line to come be the Messiah that would open up the doors to this relationship with God that would spread to the whole earth, not based upon ethnicity or race or looks or gender. Wow. So Paul's coming out of the, at, at, right after this particular mindset. The badge that they all must wear is that of faith in God, God's Redeemer, Jesus, the Messiah, and the world's rightful King. Paul goes on in verse 20, it says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Wow. The ancient Jewish dream of Abraham's covenant has been fulfilled in Jesus. When Jesus was raised from the dead, God, would not, God was not only saying, this, is and, this was and is my son, but... Those who follow him are my people. You are my people. And that's as if it was this one last blast call for the Jews to come believe the gospel and come by the way of Jesus, not come by the way of the law. And that means that this good news, this good news is for everyone. Not just the elite, not just the rich, not just the connected, not just the knowledgeable or the educated. The good news is for everyone because it's not based upon outward obedience. It's based upon a heart condition that says, Jesus, I see you and I want to become more like you. Let me, let me follow you. Let me follow in your footsteps. So my final question is, do you see the richness of Jesus in your life? Do you see the richness of God's promises over your life? God has so many promises that He's written about in Scripture that is for you. Not just for the people at the time, but there's these timeless promises that God mentions throughout Scripture that He wants to speak them into your life. It's as if you had a bank account of a million dollars and you never knew that it was there. You didn't have an ATM card. There was no way to access it. And then, lo and behold, a friend comes by and says, hey, you actually have a million dollars in the bank. Here's your card. So would you hold that card and you say, hmm, I don't think there's a million dollars in there. I don't, that's so weird. You know, this buddy, you know, this there's not a million dollars in there, and you toss it, you know, under your bunk bed or whatever. But it's not until you actually go to the bank and actually check your balance that you actually 
get verified. Oh my gosh. And to a certain extent, I feel like Christians walk around not knowing the deposit that God's already put in them, in the Holy Spirit. And it's as if we think that there's not much there. That there is more inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus. Paul says, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside you. And so sometimes I think we don't even lean into what God might have for our life because we're surrounded by a bunch of people numb and distracted, and we think, well, maybe that's just how life's supposed to go. But God has a greater call over your life, not to be numb, not to be distracted, but be completely focused on God's call on your life, which is to bring heaven to earth. In whatever way He's designed you to do that, whether it be through creativity or business or politics or wherever it may be, it's to bring heaven to earth, bottom line. And we've gotten, I think, sold short a gospel that is just about people going to heaven when the whole thrust of the scriptures is about God redeeming a people so that they could have the proper authority and have the character that mimics who God is to properly bring heaven to earth. Wow, what a call. What an amazing call on all of our lives. And we can't do it alone. That's the one, that's the great thing is that God adopts us into a family. This family that goes all the way back to Abraham, that God made the original covenant, that we all need family. We all need family. And I would submit that maybe your kingdom family might become closer than your actually natural one. My father actually passed away about 10 days ago and I was very close with him, and, um, but as close as I was with my own father, telling you that there's, God has brought certain relationships into my life that are even closer. And that we all need this, this nurturing, support, accountability into our life for us to live not just on the sideline with the Jesus jersey on to say, hey, man, I'm on the team, man. Can you believe it? We're on the team. Hey, man, sweet. Man, there's a game going on out there, but, dude, we're on. We're on the team, man. Hey, you know, anyway, you can keep going on, but (laughs) God wants you in the game. God wants you playing in the game. And it's not just about being on the team. It's about actually making plays to be a part of this unfolding story of the kingdom of God in your generation. What an amazing honor it is. And so my question is, do you not see the richness that you have in Christ? Your sin has been dealt with. You have been set free. You've been adopted into a new spiritual family that spans across human history and the globe. With Jesus as its centerpiece, and you as his masterpiece. Mm. Created in his image to reflect the nature of God, his love, his grace, his truth to people around us, and to be a blessing and to bring God glory. So what keeps you from being mightily used by God? What is it? What's tripping you up? What's maybe turning your arrow away from that cross of Christ and following his footsteps? What's pulling you away? For me, it's usually my personal sin 
or ego, that's sin too, pride, it's stuff pulling away from me, or it's me failing to lean into God's family. It's one of the two. And usually they happen simultaneously. <laughs> when you stop leaning into the relationships God's put in your life, oh man, that personal sin, man, starts pulling you away. But it's like, I know because I know I'm jacked up that I know I need, I, I know my weaknesses. At least I think I know. But I got some good friends that tell me anyway. You know, it's like, man, that's great. I'm covered. And God wants your life covered. And Paul is trying to reconcile these Jews and Gentiles to come together to say, you're one big family, get along. You know, because usually it's the people that we're closest to we fight the most. But it's like, hey, get along, get covered in God's grace so that you can actually stop infighting and actually turn around and go make a difference in the world. Amen? All right, so I got a little confession for us to kind of send us off, a little benediction. If you're from the old school, that's what this is. So uh, let's all stand up, and we're going to confess this together. Hopefully you can read the bottom of the screen, but I'll just give you a second to read over it, because I don't want you confessing something out of your mouth you don't believe. So go ahead, and I'll give you a second to read it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's good, isn't it? The Word says that God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. We're made in His image, and there's something very powerful about what we confess out of our mouth, either for blessing or for cursing. There's power in it. There's supernatural power in it. And so for us today, I just want, let's use all our faith and really declare this, not only over our own lives, but over us together as a pe God's people, all right? So let's do, do this with me. All right, here we go. Today we declare that we are followers of Jesus. The price for our sin was paid in Christ's blood. We are set free from the power of darkness. We have been adopted into God's spiritual family. We live for the kingdom of God and help bring heaven to earth. God gave Abraham a promise and fulfilled that promise through Jesus. We are God's people, and we will be a blessing wherever we go. Amen. Yeah. Have a great week.